Right, a lot of intelligent people here tonight. Listen very carefully to this, okay? Right, you have a bath, okay? Big bath, it's about 300 litres, and you want to empty that bath. You also have, listen carefully, a small thimble that's four cubic centimetres. You have a fairly large bucket, which has got two holes in it, which has got 16 cubic centimetres. And you've got a piece of tubing, which is slightly blocked. What's the best way of emptying the bath? Sorry? Tip the bath over. Good idea. Pull the plug out. Now, how many people thought that, first of all? I heard someone across here. Pull the plug out. It's really obvious, isn't it? Do you notice, why did I give you all that other information? Is it because I hate you? Well, I was trying to make fun of you a little bit, wasn't I? Because one of the things that we tend to be very good at as human beings is forgetting what's important. I can go shopping with my wife, Fiona, and I can walk around a shop, and when I went into the shop, I knew what I was going in for. And by the time we come out, I've remembered what we went in for. But the whole time in the shop, I have no recollection of what I'm doing there at all. At all. Sometimes even the most obvious things, we forget. I I do remember as a kid hearing a, a, this wasn't a joke, this was on the news, a a time when there was hijacking um, before 9-11, and this man had broken into a cockpit of a a plane and had put a gun to the pilot's head and said, take me to Cuba. And the pilot nervously said, we were already going to Cuba, actually. And he said, oh, good, and sat down. (laughs) It's really easy sometimes to miss the most obvious stuff. Particularly as life goes on and things crowd in. Sometimes the most important things can be forgotten. We read in the book of Acts about things that happened when Jesus Christ's spirit, the spirit of Jesus, was let loose in the earth. Where people shared together. Thousands became Christians. The world was turned upside down by those Christians. And as we read through the New Testament, and particularly towards the end of the New Testament, we're into a period which is 50, 60 years after Jesus. And it's funny because in some ways the problems have changed. Because the early Christians, they were persecuted and they said, praise God. They were of one mind and they went for it. But 60 years later, the world is moving on. The early excitement of Jesus and his followers is a bit of a distant memory. Many of the people who were there who are eyewitnesses are dead or dying. And within the church, there starts to be people who want to make church more relevant. At the end of the first century, you have a whole bunch of well-meaning people who want to make church more relevant because things have got a bit tired. And by more relevant, they want to make it more intellectually stimulating. They want to do away with some of the stuff that just sounds a bit old hat. And in doing so, not only do they change their mind about things like who Jesus is, but they also change their mind on how a Christian acts. 
And so one of the reasons we have some parts of our New Testament is because a man called John, a young fisherman who was with Jesus, who saw Jesus, who wrote Jesus' lifestyle and life message down in a book, he wrote letters to some churches. He wrote not just letters, but, but almost pamphlets to his friends about these problems that were emerging. A world which was changing. A world where ideas were changing and the church is trying to see if they can catch up. And things that were traditionally Christian were changing too. And John wrote a number of pamphlets just to say to them, be careful what you're doing. In the first pamphlet, it's called the first letter of John, we have an amazing piece of not just literature, but the words of God himself into that situation. And it's a situation similar to ours today, where the church is trying to work out what's essential, what's important, and what's not. And when you read through First John, I, I say to you, go home and read all of it yourself. It sounds as if it was just written yesterday. It doesn't sound 2,000 years old. It is absolutely beautiful. And when you, you, you hear the words and you see the words, I can guarantee you it's as if the Lord God is speaking to you personally. Incredible. And in that, there's lots of different things. There's John saying things like, God is light, which he said in his gospel. He says things about beware of people who are taking you this way or that way, people who want to change your ideas. But the first letter, it's quite difficult to see the train of thought all the way through it because he's addressing lots of different things. But there is one word which goes all the way through the letter, one particular word which to John is absolutely crucial, which is absolutely fundamental. And what I want us to do is to actually just look at four verses from this first letter to John, which I suggest to you sums up what John thinks is at the core of belief. The stuff that John thinks the people in these churches in Turkey 2,000 years ago were beginning to forget. Stuff that Christians were wanting to, and, and you know, people just wanted to make the gospel more relevant, were changing the very basics. But what were the basics to John? I've got the, the, the passage up as a PowerPoint, and we're going to go through it. So, some people find images helpful. I've put some images with them. If not, then just listen to, to, to the words as we read them. But this is the Word of God, right? First letter of John, chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, 
since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Thanks be to God for his word. The stuff that's in there is amazing. Theologians and thinkers and philosophers have spent whole lifetimes trying to work out what a lot of those words actually mean. People have devoted entire lives and universities to understanding what those words are about. And it is good and right that that should happen. But will I tell you something? In the doing so... And in all the books, and all the treatises, and all the discussions, and all the thinkings, good that they are, if you miss the stuff that is right in your face, you miss everything. Because there is stuff here that is deep and unfathomable, and maybe we'll never get to the bottom of, but there's other stuff which is right in your face. Why is it not just Christians, but people want to deal with lots of tiny things Sometimes missing the big picture. What is the big picture from these verses which characterize John's teaching and indeed the whole of the New Testament? The first thing, first and foremost, said lots of times, lots of people say it, but I'm going to say it again because it's absolutely important. God is love. God is love. At the foundation of Christian belief, is the fact that our God is love. Not just loving, you know, he's not just merciful and loving and all these things. He actually is love itself. If you want to see what love looks like, it is our God. That's fundamental. And in one sense, it's really straightforward. And in another sense, it's difficult. Many of us here will think of our lives up to this point and the stuff that's happened some good, some bad. And that phrase, God is love, it will either resonate with us or it will make us shake inside or we'll think that's not relevant because circumstances say different. But the fact that God himself is love and everything that he does is love is fundamental to Christian faith and it's one of the things that it's easy to forget about. You want a God of judgment? A God who's going to come and smite this world? Big smite button. Smite me, almighty smiter, remember? Even, even almighty, I think. You know, come and get me. And, I, and sometimes you have this idea within people of faith of a God who's a, a little bit schizophrenic. One minute he's dead loving. The next minute he's going to smite you because you're out of place. The bottom line is that even when God is a ju- God of judgment, he is love. He doesn't do it in some capricious, nasty way. He is love and he cannot change. That's one of the most fundamental things in the Christian faith. 
And the implications of that are huge. The second thing from this passage. That love was shown by the death of Jesus. When we say that God is love, what do we mean? F.F. Bruce, who's a famous scholar who's also a fine Christian, says that love is a consuming passion for the well-being of others. Love is a consuming passion for the well-being of others, even if it costs you. That's love. That's what our God is. Not just that he does, but that's what he, he is. He is a consuming passion for the welfare of other people. And very often people just don't deserve it. And so the next thing, how was that love shown? It tells us in the passage that love was shown through the coming and the death of Jesus. Echoing words that's already in John's gospel. God showed his love by sending us Jesus. Consuming passion for the well-being of others. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before time, knew you and I and our crummy little lives and the lives of everything around about us. All the wars, all the massacres, all the tiny bits of infidelity, all the big bits of infidelity, the way we muck around with one another, the way we destroy entire peoples for our own whim and our own desire. The fact that many of us sit, concentrate purely on me, me, me. And that God knew that. And he wanted things to change. And with a passion for other people, he, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, saw that the only way to make things right was for all the wrong things that we have done the punishment for those wrong things to be in Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not some nasty father who's sending his son out saying, I'm sorry, but the only way is we're going to have to kill you for these people. That's not what it is at all. This is almighty God, creator of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in himself. Love. He is love. And Jesus being broken and destroyed so that you and I could know this God of love so that we could live again how did God show us his love by sending his son Jesus to die as an atoning sacrifice not just to come on earth and give us a good example although that's amazing not just the idea of God coming to earth and living a human life so he would know exactly what we're like although that's brilliant but God came to earth to die for you and me. That's what love is. And if you're a Christian, if you have God's love within you just now, thinking about what, how God has done for us, if that does not make your heart race, then just check your pulse because you might be dead. Our God gave up everything for people that did not deserve it, for you and me, and some of the nastiest characters in history. God himself is love. He showed us this love by sending Jesus to die. Those two things, those two things are vital, not just to having a Christian faith, but to being alive. Because that's what you are if you're a Christian. You're alive. 
awful lot of dead people around. But it doesn't stop there. The third thing, and this blows your mind away, and the problems and the paradoxes and all that sort of stuff behind this can blow your mind away. But the bottom line is, there's something you can do about it. This is something that we can do. God is love. His love was shown to us in the death of Jesus, and his love is now shown by our love. Did you see what it said? Did you see what it said? Because of the love of Jesus, and because of loving, loving him, it changes us. And we love one another. That's what happens. This isn't, let's try harder now. We've got a great God. Come on, let's try harder, people. People are looking at us. Let's try harder and be more like this God. That's not, it doesn't work that way. You can try as hard as you want to pick yourself up with your shoelaces and pull yourself. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work just trying harder. Human experience tells us we can get so far and it doesn't work. We draw close to this God of love. We draw close to him and we see Jesus and our lives are transformed. Have you ever noticed that the company you keep is really important? The people around about you and how they act and what they are is really, really important. And although you might think you determine your own actions, it's funny how your company determines your own action. And you find yourself doing things that you didn't want to do and regretting it afterwards. Sometimes you find yourself doing really good things and wondering how on earth that happened. What happens when you keep company with the living God? What happens when you really do draw alongside the God who's drawn alongside you and he lives not just beside you but within you? What does that do to a man or woman? It could turn us inside out, couldn't it? It could destroy us if this God's as big as that. It doesn't. We pick up the family likeness. God loves us. He shows his love through Jesus. And because we love Jesus and God, we love other people. Not because we're trying harder, but because we spend time with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he transforms us. John Stott, who, who wrote on this, wrote, no one who's been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed can ever go back to a life of total selfishness. No one who has ever been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of total selfishness. When you go outside and you see the wind, well, you don't see the wind, do you? No one's ever seen the wind. What you can do, though, is you can see the things that are moved around by the wind, can't you? So you can't see the wind, but you can see the effect of the wind. The effect of God is love. That's what God does. The effect of God is love. In the same way as the effect of the wind outside is the moving of objects. That's how you can see that it's windy. If you see love, it's because God is actually behind it all. The problem is that you and I naturally think about ourselves. 
God thought totally about his creatures, who he wanted to be friends, not just creatures. And his love was not just unmerited, not just that he, he went further than, than any of us would go, but it really cost. The idea that Jesus and the cross shouts out an old psalm, hundreds of years old, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because the sin, every single punishment for sin was put in his broken body. And God, who is ever love, the Father, it says, couldn't look at that. That's costly. That is real sacrifice. Well, I tell you something, sacrifice isn't terribly isn't terribly um, good nowadays. We don't like the idea of sacrifice. We've got a nice culture where I'll pick and choose what I want. I like this bit and I like that bit. Yeah, I quite like that bit. You cannot have the love of God and there not be real sacrifice. You cannot have the love of God and it not cost something. You cannot have the love of God and have yourself as well. What a great sales technique this, eh, isn't it? Oh, I come to Jesus and it's all going to be great. No. Jesus Christ died to show us love so that we might be loved to other people. And that love costs. For some people, it costs everything. I just think of through my own Christian walk, some of the people that I've met who've shown that love of Jesus. And it's blown me away. I became Christian through a church in Glasgow with a whole bunch of people who are not much older. In fact, many of them are younger than the people here, here, here tonight. They're in a really bad bit of Glasgow. My wife Fiona was brought up there. Abuse of all sorts, drugs and alcohol of all sorts, a dreadful place. No reasonable human being would choose to live there. But will I tell you something? The living God was there and his love was there and it transformed people's lives. It turned around. And people lived. Dead people were alive. And I saw that. And I tell you something, I was appalled at the idea of death of a man and a cross. What nonsense. And God becoming man. Total nonsense. The Bible, God's word, it's all nonsense. Of course it is. Intellectually, in my mind, it was all nonsense. But I tell you something, you can't say that when you see God move. You can't say that when you see God's love actually move. And that's what I saw. And I, in one sense, had no choice but on bended knee to come to Jesus Christ and say, I don't understand a lot of this, but I see what you're doing. I see your love. I want you to live with me. And he did. Not brought about by a marvelous, wonderful preacher who'd never done anything wrong in his life, but by a whole bunch of broken, bungled, and botched human beings who just had the love of Jesus. That's what made the difference. They knew the scriptures, but I'll tell you what was more important. They lived them. They lived them. The word was living. Another small story. I don't want to embarrass my wife Fiona, but I will anyway. Fiona's, Fiona's childhood was complicated, right? There was a young couple 
in her church, Robert and Aileen Walker, you've never seen two people who look so straight in your life. I mean, they just, they, they, when, when you see them, they just look so straight and wonderful and prim and everything else. They got married at a very young age, and the first thing they knew was they had a wee girl <laughs> turning up with nowhere to live. Now, a married couple, come on, let's be reasonable. It's all right talking about sacrifice, but we've got to be reasonable, haven't we? As Christians, we have to be reasonable. We have to think it out. Well, thank God they didn't. They saw a little girl who needed somewhere to live. And they, they took her to live with them. A young married couple who had just married. Now, I can think of lots of scriptures why you couldn't have done that, and we shouldn't have done this, and you should have done that. Rubbish. The love of God says you reach out. And they did. Transformed Fiona's life. The love of God transforms people's lives. Religion and Christian religion on its own without the love of God deadens and just makes us into cripples. And you're sitting there thinking, well, that's fine for great and wonderful people, for great preachers and everything else. But, you know, here I am. I'm sitting, I'm, I'm 15, I'm 19, I'm 26, I'm 34. I've just got a bit of an ordinary life. You know, I can't see anything spectacular happening. When we were in Sheffield um, at St. Thomas Crooks, we were visited by a group of people from the States whose children had been at Columbine High School, whose children had been shot. And why? Because some of them had thrown themselves in front of their non-Christian friends to save them. They weren't superstars. They are not superb people and great stars that you were going to write about. They were ordinary boys and girls and men and women who acted in the love of God and lost everything. Mother Teresa, she wrote, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. There's a real strange paradox in the Christian faith. Stuff that most of us would run a mile to avoid. If God calls us to it, and it's costly and it hurts, there is glory there, and the love of God is there. Those three things, John, at the end of his life, saying to this group of believers who are beginning to wander away, they're beginning to give up. Oh, maybe Jesus isn't God. Maybe he was just a bit of a spirit who came down and dwelt a human being. And then they end up living the way they want, and they treated each other shabbily. They used church as a way of fighting with one another, showing intellectual prowess, of showing that you were better than this Christian. And that's what they did. In John's time, the Christians started to say, actually, I'm a better Christian than you. Because I know this, and I know that, and I know this. I know, I know, I know. John goes and he says, we know lots of things, but the bottom line is, unless you reflect the love of God, it doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't make you great. What a message for our time. When we have a church, which at least in this country is rent apart, fighting over things which are big and important and things that we should think about, 
things that we should be engaging in, but if we miss the love of God, what are we doing? If you're within a local church, and I mean, students who are here, you've, many of you will come from some churches and no churches, but the church you belong to, if you're in a church where the main thing to do, do is just to impress people by how spiritual you are, or by you doing this, or you by doing this nice exposition of this Bible study, rather than the love of God, what are we playing at? That is not what this world needs. That is not what this broken, botched world needs. It needs men and women who know that God is love. It needs men and women who know that Jesus Christ really is not just an answer, but the answer to everything, because he is the way that God showed his love. And men and women who will love to the point that it costs. Is that going to empty the church, or is it going to fill it? What do you think? going to empty the church or fill it? What would a church look like, a people look like, where instead of fighting with one another, we loved the unlovely in the way that God does? That we engaged in good intellectual argument and debate, but did it out of love? A church where it doesn't matter who comes into us, we make time and space for them rather than shoving them onto someone else because it's their job. What does a church like that look like? It's a lot bigger than the one here. That sort of church just grows. Shackleton, Ernest Shackleton, when he was going to the pole, he wrote an, he wrote a, an advert saying, um, want people to come and join me? You're probably going to lose your life. You might lose a few limbs. It's actually pretty tough. And I don't have much money to give you either. And he, he thought, well, just tell people the truth about you going to the South Pole. Thousands turned up to be interviewed. Thousands turned up to be interviewed. Showing the love of God is one of the most costly things that can be done in life. It, it costs. But when you do it, God draws close, not just to you, but to other people. Do you want to feel God close? How many times have you found yourself saying, oh, I want to feel God close? God is love. And you, I know, you cannot be closer to God when you love someone. You, you cannot be more close to God when you love someone. It's not possible. When you love someone, you're right close to God. So enough of this rubbish where we sit in our houses or we sit in our offices or we sit in church saying, oh, I just wish God would cl draw close to me. I mean, me, you don't know how difficult it is, me and my spiritual journey and, 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 and my life is this and my, 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 and the love of God is not there. Draw close to God. And when you're loving other people, you don't get much closer to the love of God because that's where he is. If you don't see God, go to where he is. It'll be a costly place. It'll be a difficult place. But that's where he is. But don't give us this nonsense about you can't find him. He's hiding. He doesn't hide. He is active in his world and he is loving 
He is doing things in this world and he's loving. And if you want to see it, go to where he is. Those three things are axiomatic. They are foundational to the Christian faith. All the other stuff might be important. Much of it is. But without those three things, God is love. God showed his love through the death of Jesus. And the fact is that we are to love one another. Without those three things, the rest of it is an emaciated picture because it doesn't look like Jesus. It doesn't look like Jesus. Very quickly, in the house group that I'm part of, one of the things we do is when we look at the scripture, even if it's just one verse, we don't go away and say, that was jolly interesting. Mm, I'm going to have to think on that. I'm going to have to mill that over a little bit. If God is saying something really direct, we try and do it, even if it costs. And so, what I would like us to do is talk to God about this. I want us to bring to God the fact that He is a God of love and what that means to us. That the death of Jesus is His way of showing His love and that we should love one another. How does all of that come to people that you and I? It can only come through praying. It's the only way it happens. And so I could just send you away and say, we're going to have a wee think about it. But what we're going to do is together, I'm going to invite you to pray about this and talk to this God. We've talked about him. I've talked about him quite a lot. Let's talk to him about this. For some people here, you will not know who Jesus Christ is. You will not know that he died for you and that God is love. Tonight, you can change that. You can come straight into his presence, not because you're great and big and wonderful, but because he loves you, because he died for you. He wants you to be like him. Anyone, the Bible says, good old-fashioned word, whosoever, that's you. Don't care who you are or what you've done. Come to Jesus. Some of us will have lived this, this, this day, this week, this month, this year, this 10 years, even as a Christian, in a spirit where God is not a God of love, condemning ourselves or condemning other people, making life difficult for people in the name of our faith, rather than loving. And maybe some of us need to repent of that. Maybe some of us need to repent of that. And many of us, deep down in our hearts who are Christians, do want to be like Jesus and feel as if we're stuck. We feel that we don't have the resource to try harder. You don't have to try harder. He'll draw close to you. If you want to be like Jesus, he draws close and you become like Jesus. That sounds really simple. It's simple and it's the hardest thing in the world because you have to say no to yourself and yes to him. Is that what you want to do? That's what the Christian faith looks like. Is this what you've signed up for? A life of sacrifice. All of you here, including myself, who belong to Jesus Christ, our lives belong to Jesus. And they will be lives of sacrifice. They will all look different, but they will be lives of sacrifice. That's what it says. We're going to break bread together, communion. 
Why did Jesus get us to do communion? Because we keep on forgetting the important thing. Remember what it's, the passage says? As, we, as we're going to come to communion, there's bread and there's wine. And the passage says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world to be broken. That's why we have communion, to help us remember the very basic thing about how God showed his love. I'm going to ask you as a group of people to turn to the folk round about you, introduce yourself to them in groups of about eight or ten, if, if you can. Introduce one an- to, to yourselves to one another and pray together. Just pray to this God who is love. Thank him. Invite him into your life. Invite him into the church. Just pray. You don't have to pray out loud. There's no magic about praying out loud, except that it encourages people. That's the beauty of praying out loud. If we don't pray, we're wasting our time because we have to invite that God in. Can you see that? For some people who might feel really uncomfortable with this, you don't have to go and join a group, okay? I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable in the wrong way. Do I want you to feel uncomfortable? Yeah, sacrificial loving is uncomfortable. If you don't like it, you've got some thinking to do. But right now, I don't want anyone to be pushed away from God because of anything that I do in getting you, getting you to pray together. So if you feel that you can't be part of a group, you don't want to, that's all right, just with a smile, Sit where you are and pray by yourself. I don't want anyone to miss the living God just because I make you do something. So right now, in groups of about eight or ten, get together, introduce yourselves to one another, talk to one another, and then pray. Just pray to this God who is love and see what happens. Go. Cool.